from the Kramer Basketball Headquarters in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. You are listening to the Coach's Edge Podcast, powered by Coach. Here is your host, Steve Kramer. Like to give a warm, warm Coach's Edge welcome to uh, Coach Dan Hughes to the Coach's Edge podcast. And Coach Hughes, I mean, the, the resume speaks for itself, but I want to touch base first on how uh, I met you, which was about a month ago at a overseas basketball combine. I want our listeners to to hear a little bit of, you know, my first impressions, right? And so if I didn't know your background and, and who you were, which uh, we'll, we'll get into, which is tremendous. We had uh, about 40, 50 players from around the United States fly in and they were divided up into different teams and uh, yourself, myself, some other coaches, scouts, agents were working with them over a, a handful of days. They're trying to get some overseas basketball uh, opportunities and contracts. And you had an hour to run basically a practice with that team. And you worked on some communication, some passing. Uh, you talked about how to break in, um, break down into a, a four out and a five out, talk about some drag screens and some different types of types of things. And as I'm sitting there, because as a coach, I'm saying, sweet, this is our coach's clinic for me. So I got my, my intern was taking some video and I'm sitting there and I'm, you know, seeing what you're doing. And I saw somebody who has been a, a WNBA champion. You've coached in the Olympics. You've been a WNBA coach of year. You coached at the division one, division three, high school level. You've been a, a general manager, all of these things. And I saw somebody that had a great passion for the game, obviously, extreme knowledge of the game and somebody who communicated at a level that everything was understood. There wasn't any beating around the bush. Here's it. Here, here it is. Here's how the game can work. Here's how it can apply to you. And so I I just thought that was a tremendous takeaway for, for me, who's trying to continue to get better as a coach. When you view coaching as a whole, what comes to your mind first? Well, teaching to be honest with you, uh, at the core of, I think, of every really good coach is a good teacher and understanding really what that means, you know. And I, I, I always wanted a system that I could relate to the cerebral players, the ones that go to the nth degree um, and, and, and want exclamations for things. But I also wanted a system that could attract the instinctful player and merge them in a way that nobody could tell who's what. And it didn't really matter. You know, it's, it's not a matter of who's better. It's just a matter of learning styles. And it goes back to teaching. I, 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 I think that's, uh, you know, my wife's a teacher. Um, it's, it's what I, you know, when I started as a high school coach, I taught uh, world history and mm-hmm. I taught, you know, things like that. And somehow I wanted the journey to, to be such that I learned from a little bit of everything I did. As you've traveled around the world coaching the game, you've coached some of the, or the very best players that have ever played. And you've done it over 45 plus years of being involved in the game at one level or another. 
when you think of how a coach is trying to instill culture with a group or a team, what are some things that you feel like have changed over the decades of being involved at the sport? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, that's a really good question. One that, that, that I'm going to ponder just for a second. No, um, take your time. <laughs> no, I, 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 I think players are players, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. but the rules and the, the, uh, the culture that a player perceives has changed. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's changed in a lot of ways from the standpoint of uh, communication. I think it's changed in the way as far as, uh, you know, how you view your career. You know, you, it, it is pretty common now to view your career looking at almost yearly. And, and a lot of years ago, you, you viewed it in sets of four, you know, when you went to high school, when you went to college. Yeah, that's a good point. And you did those things. And, and, and it's different now. I, I, I'm not saying it's not as good. I'm just saying it's different. And so I think that's got I, you're dealing with with players growing up before you're involved in the culture with them. That mm-hmm. uh, those things happen. Now, now the, the one thing that drives a culture for a coach is trust to me. Trust. When a player will trust you, you know, that means a lot. So when you're talking about culture, your culture's got to have the ability to create trust to me in that player because you're probably not going to get where you need to go to with a player, regardless of their learning styles or whatever, if that trust isn't kind of apparent. Mm-hmm. The, I just think that's one of the challenges for a coach. You mentioned these four-year blocks that we were able to kind of look at the game through. And now it's like, boy, you want to create this strong culture, but the pressure on the coaches, boy, we need to do it faster because whether it's a college level, kid might have a year they don't like, they're just going to transfer out and start playing somewhere else. Same thing at the high school level now, kid will just leave, right? And so you're trying to build this culture at a faster rate. Do you have any examples uh, over your coaching career of how you've gone about building trust and improving communication with players who, you know, maybe an example of, of, you know, one personality type compared to another, you mentioned the learning styles, which is a great tidbit as well. Yeah, I, I, I do. I'll, I'll give you a couple of them. Um, one of them was what I had learned. My, my last job in the WNBA was, was Seattle. And I took the job in Seattle. The very first thing I did was get on the plane and go to to the homes of some of my key players. I mean, I went to where they live. I I went to them, and I wanted that to be uh, the first thing. I first one I went to was Jewel Lloyd. I went to see Jewel Lloyd in Chicago, and and I happened to land there on a day they were retiring her number from her high school and went out to eat with her family and went to some places. And, uh, and then I went to see Brianna Stewart, you know, if she was living in in Seattle at that point. And so I I flew to her Sue bird. I went to see Sue bird, um, so on and so on. Uh, but I, I went to where they lived. I tried to listen as much as talk, you know, I tried to be, 
I can remember saying to Sue Bird, I, I said, Sue, I'm, I'm going to empower you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, you're going to have the keys to the car, but there's going to be some times where I'm going to do something for the team that might be different than how you view it. And you have to make that work. Okay. Cause there will be times where I'll do things that may not make sense to you, even though I want you, I want you to lead the team. I want you to do. And I remember saying that to her and I'm, I'm sure she could give you great examples of where I frustrated her probably from where I, I would do certain things, but I, she would also tell you that I really empowered her. I really, I really let her, uh, you know, where she was at in her career, she was like a coach on the floor and, you know, like I do with my assistants, you know, if I ask them to step forward, I, I don't second guess them. And I treated Sue a lot like that, but there were times I'm sure I made some decisions that Sue were like, you know, and, and when you give a player that power, yeah, they have to also deal with that. But, sure. but the, sec the second thing I'd tell you, and, and I learned this from a guy named Bob Bass, Bob Bass was a longtime GM in the NBA. He was a guy that when, when I went to Charlotte and I took over at Charlotte, he was real influential in giving me that opportunity. They asked him, they were replacing the coach. What should we do? And, and, and he said, well, I'll, I'll help. If you hire Dan Hughes, I'll, I'll help out, you know, but that you, you hire him, give, you know, let him and he'll do all the stuff. Cause I haven't have time. I'm an NBA guy. I don't have time. Well, anyway, long story short, I, I went into Bob and he, he, he said to me, he said, if you need, you go do what you got to do, but if you need something, my door's always open. So I went to him. I took over and I had one practice, one practice. And then I had a game. I took over during the season. Okay. I had one practice and I walk in there and I go, Bob, you know, I mean, there's some things I want to change, but I got one practice. He goes, well, you got one practice, Dan. He said, take advantage of it. You know, you got one practice. That's, that's the pro way. Well, the pro way I think helps a lot as I look at coaches dealing in high school or, or dealing in college with this atmosphere where you got to create a culture and you got to create a way to play and you got to do it fast because you yeah. may not have that player four years. And that particular moment really, you know, um, I'm not necessarily proud of this, but I've had players fly in from Europe, land, okay, we're playing a game. They have yet to practice with me. Now, now they, they had played for me in the past, so I had that going for me. But I would throw them in a game and win a game. Uh, you know, I didn't lean on them heavily, but I, 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 I was not afraid to use them because the culture, I, I felt, had been established. And in that particular moment, they could help us win. Mm -hmm. So there's there's some examples but i think i think the world's now moving towards you better arrive at your culture pretty fast you better have a way that these kind of things get get apparent to your players yeah well and you know we talked about it from the player standpoint but from the coaching side too if if you're not successful for a year or two the coach might be out right and so and so the the players it seems like are in more of a hurry the, the management and organization seems like they're more, more of a hurry. And a lot of that comes into the middle, which is the coach. And how can we start to organize things, being effective, and also having some some pace to it. 
if you were to speak to you know, a varsity basketball coach right now, whether they're a new coach or maybe they've been coaching for a little while, but they just don't love that, that feel, that vibe, that culture that, that is there within the team, what advice would you give them as far as where to start? Well, I, I think you got to look within yourself. I think you got to understand who you are. You know, you, you, you got to understand maybe how you teach. You got to understand how, how you're comfortable in certain things. I, I, I would really encourage them to look at it and, and I would encourage them not to be afraid of change. You know, there's a lot of us that, 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 you know, uh, you know, you, you, you think, well, this is the way I've always done it, you know, and uh, there's something to be said for that, but, but I'm a living example of somebody who coached a lot different in the course of my career. Um, and, 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 and I would tell them to take a look at, like, I, I ended up in, in, in a situation where I developed the team based on the strengths they had. Um, I had a very flexible offensive system, which had a lot of trust in players. And, but, but I evolved to kind of, you know, I, I, I could be a three point shooting team, or I, I might be a, a defensive team that grinded it out, kind of depending on where do, doing a good job of understanding where the strengths were. But I also did it with my staffs as I got older. I mean, defense was probably my favorite thing to do. But when I went to Seattle, I had a really good defensive guy that whose system was a little different than mine, but I thought it fit the team. Well, I kind of placed him out in front and said, go, and I'll I'll jump in here and help with transition defense. I'll help with, with other things, you know, because that was a strength of my staff. Now, I'd have never done that 20 years ago. No way. No way. But there's something to be said as I look at, at, at the world that coaches got to deal with. And there's something to be said with that kind of look at your culture, at your teaching, um, you know, and, 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 and I'm, I'm glad that I did change through the course of my career. That's a great example. We talked about empowering your players, but you're empowering your coaching staff as well. And, you know, a lot of those coaches, what are some of their dreams? Probably to be a, a head coach in your position someday. So you're, you're giving them some ownership and some autonomy there, which is fantastic as well. Have you ever well, had an experience? Go ahead, coach. Well, you, you, you raise a good point. And I'll, I'll, I'll just finish the thought for you. You know, last year in the WNBA, seven of the 12 head coaches were my assistants. That, amazing. That's awesome. And, but I think part of that reason was because the reputation that these coaches actually did something. Right. They actually <laughs> were a, a large part of our success. Yeah. And it, it you know, I'm, I'm glad that they uh, got opportunities to be a head coach because they honestly were quite pivotal in what we were doing where I was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's, that's amazing. Seven out of the 12, the 12 teams. That's so cool. Is there been a time and maybe the, you know, there was a mid season trade or maybe you went into the season and thought, you know what, our culture, our style is going to be a certain way. And then, you know, you're 15, I don't know, 20 games into the season. And you're like, you know what, this isn't really working. We need to 
to make a change. Yeah, has, has that happened? And if so, how do you go about making that change effectively? And I ask this just because it's it's January, and for for some schools, they're you know halfway through the season, some a little bit more, some a little bit less, as far as the high school level, and they might be uh, having some of those same thoughts. Well, absolutely. I think the very first year of my coaching, I, I was at a school called Madison Plains High School, and I I, I was a head high school coach at 22. I was the youngest coach in the state of Ohio, but you know, we, we had a team back that they, they, they hadn't won, but they, there was a community perception that, that, that we could be good, which I think was legit. But we're not, we're going through the season and we're, you know, we're okay, but we're not good. We're by no means good. And I remember saying to myself that exact question that you ask, you know, uh, and in that particular case, it, it was just a matter of persistence with me because I, I, I think coaches need a little bit of time in a new situation to kind of understand who they are. I was young too, but, but, but who your team is, you know, and sometimes the, the journey, what, what I found and what changed everything for me was the journey was teaching us what we needed to be and what the culture needed to be about. The journey was. And all of a sudden, I remember in January, we, we had a particularly bad loss at Taze Valley. I, you remember the losses for some reason awfully well, but uh, terrible loss. And I remember walking by the shower and just about as low as I can be. Uh, I'm 22 years old. I really, you know, this, this is this is dramatic to me. But I, I remember saying to myself, you know, that there's got to be a new day tomorrow. You know, that there's got to be a new kind of culture that, that, that I'm going to establish. Um, and I didn't necessarily do things differently. I just attacked what I had learned about the team. And I attacked it with them. And I began to, to realize that, you know what, I, all we had to do was pay attention to the two months ahead and get better at this, uh, enforce this because we're pretty good at it. And then get some confidence. You know, we went out and, and beat a team called Miami Trace, which was our arch rival. Uh, and uh, that changed everything. That week changed. We didn't lose a game until the regional finals. Um, that time changed everything. But the confidence factor was important for the players. But, but the fact that we just took a deep dive into what, really was happening to our team mm -hmm. and focused on that and, and did a good job with priorities. And I had good young men and, and that, you know, I've stayed pretty close to that philosophy for 40 some years. So one thing before I get to the next question, 22 years old coach on the podcast, who's won WNBA championships. And he's talking about the loss to Taze Valley. And I can see like gritting your teeth a little bit, saying how the, the loss still hurts. And I'm just like, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I love it. A loss is a loss. Like it sucks. Um, 
<laughs> that's just uh that's really cool. I love it. Well, I remember walking past the shower, you know, the shower was running, the players had dressed somebody, you know, we always tried to make sure we left the locker room like we found it. So I'm, I'm walking into the shower to turn off the shower cause it's running. Yeah. But there's a couple players sitting there. And the thing that I did was I, I asked them, what do you think? Mm -hmm. And I listened. And then I, I put the spin on it at the end. I'm like, you know what? We're, 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 we're going to get better. Mm -hmm. But, but the, the thing I did, which I look back, I didn't know what I was doing, but I'm, I'm happy that I asked them because it was a joint thing that we needed to correct. But yeah, I, I, all those things are still in my head and that was 1979. Okay. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's awesome. So we, you talked in the very beginning about how you're going to see Sue Bird, Brianna Stewart, before before the season starts, when you're you're about to enter your first season coaching the Seattle Storm. I think as coaches, before the season starts, we have a, a lot of this motivation. We have this vision for what the season could look like, and, and we're we're excited. Man, look at these possibilities! And then the season starts to unfold, right? And maybe it, it's not unfolding the way that that we had vision. And I know speaking, you know, myself, we can lose sight of what were some of those things that we touched on from a culture and communication standpoint that we were so high on before the season started. And as things started to unravel, now I myself as a coach stopped touching on those very vital aspects because I'm not quite happy with the, the performance uh, of our team. Have there been some things that you've done throughout the course of the season to help continue to foster the culture and the communication and the togetherness of your team? Yeah. I, I you know, I, I think a lot of those are done on daily basis mm -hmm. to be honest with you. I, 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 I think culture ultimately became the most important thing to me. And if something happened on a daily basis that I got word of that coaching me meeting would end uh, if I'm walking around doing something with some administrator, it ends and I go immediately to address the thing that I think has, you, you know, culture is a wonderful world that people uses, but I tried to win the day to day. You know, that's what I tried to do. And winning the day to day, you know, you have to understand your priorities and your priorities is your relationship with the players. To me that that was my priority that was what i did you know and, and and i think what becomes important to you is that you don't necessarily fear adversity early in a year you don't want it but the truth is it's a great chance to learn from it's a great chance for, for your players and for your team to see who you are and see, see what that's all about. And that trust that I talked about is often reinforced. And I, I went to Seattle and promptly lost my first game uh, to Phoenix, Brittany Griner's team and Diana Trossi and all, all them, whatever, at home, at home. You know, everybody's excited, you know, that Seattle hadn't had a winning season in about, I don't know about seven or eight years or whatever. And everybody's thinking this is going to be a good year, you know, and, 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 and I think it that too, but we promptly 
come out of the gate, lose. And then we got to play Phoenix on a, the next game. So we, we got a day in between or whatever. And so we fly to Phoenix and all that. And, you know, I, I, I made a change or two to, to the team uh, as far as what I had learned from the first game, a little bit about, you know, what, what things were. And, and to be honest with you, you know, we went down and won that game. And I think as a, as a coach, you are judged by your actions. I have to tell you, you know, you can talk to your blue in the face, but players perceive pretty quickly, especially in a culture where actions are greater than words, you know, which is certainly part of our players will respond to that, you know, more than they will what you tell them. Yeah. As, as you were speaking, I was thinking about some of the challenges at the WNBA level when it comes to keeping that strong culture, knowing that these are adult professional players that they want to win, right? You combine the fact that, I mean, there's contracts on the line, right? There's trades, there's free agency, there's the, the next draft class coming in. For the majority of these players, they've been the best player on their team their entire life. And then you go on a team and say, I know you're a stellar point guard, but Sue Bird's going to play in front of you. Brianna Stewart's going to get going to get the shots, right? And that can be a real challenge in itself for even the high school coach, right? Who, who may have a couple kids that are, you know, getting five, 10 minutes here and there, but mom or dad or somebody and it's like, wow, you should be starting. You should be, what are some of the pieces of advice that you would give a, a high school coach in handling that really big challenge of playing time and saying, Hey, this is, this is about us more than it is about each of you as an individual. Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, I think role delineation and the communication of it is essential. Um, and I, I was very conservative often in my estimation of, of what that was going to be. Um, I made some decisions relative to my team that, you know, maybe this player isn't a fit because we probably can't get on the same page with each other about that. Um, I had very little, I, I had a lot of courtesy to the parents of my players, to high school level. Um, well, throughout my career, very courteous, talked to them, really didn't stick around long enough to have discussions about what their thoughts were on how I was doing. I dealt with the player. Even at the high school level, I dealt with the player. And I would tell the parent, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to be as factual and to be as accurate as I can with your son, with your daughter. Okay. But if you want to know something, you need to go to them. You need to be mom and dad. And I'm going to communicate to that player. Even at the high school level, it was like that, you know, and, um, we all have our moments, but I think to a degree that 
that relationship between player and coach was one that I valued so much that it, that it was sacred to me. And I would not destroy that by going through the parent uh, in, in some sort of side way. And, and I, 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 I did not necessarily want, I, and I didn't handle very well when a player went to a parent and the parent came to me and it just didn't happen very much, to be honest with you. There, there, there were minimal amount of times, but I had a little bit of that with agents in the WM. And I'll, I'll just give you an example. You know, if, if an agent would call me again, I would rather the player talk to me. I'll, I'll, I, it was essential to me that the player feel comfortable enough to tell me, coach, I can help the team. I, I need to play. And I didn't, I didn't run from that. You know, in some cases I, I needed to learn from that, but if an agent called me and I can remember being on a bus, the agent called me after a game, we're, we're flying back the next day and we're on a team bus or something. And, <laughs> and the agent called and I kind of knew what was happening. It didn't happen all that much. So-and-so da, 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 da. And so I start talking loud on the, pl on, on the bus so that I can be heard. <laughs> from it for everybody and, and basically telling them you know that I'm not going to talk to you about this if the player wants to talk to me by all means that's the way we handle it and I said that loud enough I, I'm sure there wasn't a person on the bus that didn't hear that <laughs> uh I love it I was just sitting back enjoying uh enjoying that story right there that's good um it reminds me it like it's 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 tough this is their job. This is their career, right? Yeah. It's, it's and so it, there's just such such a difficult balance. Um, I remember one year, I'll share this super quick. I was playing in Slovakia, and we had a, like a week break. I was going to go home for like a couple days, and then I was going to come back. Mm -hmm. And if you're living in Slovakia, the sun never comes out for like eight or nine months. I was like, <laughs> I got to go home like for a couple days. And so the day before we leave, one of my teammates says, "Hey, man, I wouldn't come back after." The seat, you know, when you go home for Christmas, I wouldn't come back to the team. I was like, what are you talking about? You know, uh, of course, of course, I'm coming back. And uh, I didn't really know what he was he was talking about. So I ended up coming back and who wasn't on the roster anymore was him. And I knew right then how cutthroat professional basketball was, because if I would have told the club, hey, I'm not coming back they would have kept him on the team instead of cutting him at least for a long enough period of time before they could have got another player to come in. And so this guy was trying to get me not to play so he could save his own job. And there, there's just, there's so many little things like that that happen that can be really challenging for, for players, coaches, management, everybody to, to deal with is, is, uh, is really tough. That's, um, a, that's a good story. Good story. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's like, oh, my eyes were open. I was like, uh, you know, um, oblivious to, I was like, hey, man, I thought we we're just like working together, trying to win, like do the best we can. And then I was like, oh, it's not, that's not how it, it is necessarily over here. Okay. Um, that was a good, a good lesson learned uh, moving forward. But coach, you've literally been around the the best in the game, right? And, and you yourself are, are in that category. I mean, you've coached uh, in the Olympics, Right. You, I mean, you've won WNBA championships. I mean, Brianna Stewart, Sue Bird, you know, Diana Tarot. I mean, just the coaches and the players that you've had uh, the chance to work with and the leaders that those players generally are. As a coach listening, 
who at the high school level may ha- may say, boy, I have a, a player who's who's a leader. They're smart. They're skilled. The team depends on them. Can you talk a little bit about how that, you know, advice to a coach on how that player coach relationship, you know, some of the, you know, positives, negatives, strengths and weaknesses, m- m- maybe mistakes even that you've made so that they can then try to do that with their team? Absolutely. You know, I, I, I think leaders are, you know, a, a lot of times leaders lead by example and that, and that's fine. I got no problem with that, but where we as coaches can be very helpful is teaching leaders how to communicate, you know, and, and you have to, they may have a wonderful idea of basketball, to be honest with you. I, I mean, I, I have coached players that are smarter than me about the game of basketball where I'm smarter than them. It's the art of teaching, the art of teaching. I'm, and so you got to spend time in teaching these leaders, you know, that some of the theories of how to teach, you know, and, and I don't think we as coaches spend enough time on that. I, I got to the point that that's, that was very important to me. And, uh, I wanted them to understand, you know, you, 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 you learn how to effectively talk to your teammates. You know, I'm, I was very big on, for example, talking to each other about what we need to do. You know, I, 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 sports talk and all this, you hear things about holding people accountable. Okay. Well, th- th- there's some truth to that, but let's, let's, take a deeper dive into holding people accountable. You know, that's not just complaining to them or telling them what they did wrong. That's telling them what they need to do. That's reinforcing what you need to do. Now, I would always tell the leaders, you know, three out of four times, I want you saying this. Now, once in a while, you just got to say it because, you you know, you you've exhausted this this we need to do this and now you got to say don't do this okay and but that's good teaching a a lot of teachers would tell you that and and I'll give you an example I remember I'm coaching Seattle and uh I call timeout we're not playing great and I call timeout and I'm going through we got to do this you know we got to do that we got to do that you know we break the huddle I see Sue Bird who and, and she would often gather the team as we broke the huddle and she said to him, we just got to play better. Now, we went out and played better. I don't think it was necessarily what Dan Hughes said, uh, you know, the changing of the, the, the ball screens and all this. It was the leader looking at them and saying, yeah, we just got to play better. And then all, you know, so I, I understand that, that process from both ends. And, uh, but the art of being a teacher the, the art of understanding how people learn and the art of creating, and, and we went to it in culture, you, they've got to respect you. And to respect their leader, you have to listen to them sometimes. Yeah, leaders listen. That's a great, that's a great piece right there, Coach. Um, as we finish out this this podcast, we'll ask kind of some quick, quick questions to, to finish it out, but when you think of coaching, you mentioned in the beginning, you think of, of teaching. What are one or two of the biggest takeaways over your coaching career that you now apply to everything else that you do in your life? 
Um, I, I've mentioned it before, but I, 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 I go back to 2000. I'll give you two things. One is that it's now important to me to empower the people around me. Um, if I'm really going to be a good leader, it, 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 my job as coach is not to necessarily be the leader, but to develop leaders. Mm -hmm. And if you understand what I'm saying, I, yeah. that's yeah. where I really got to. My job wasn't to be a leader. That, 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 that's kind of hard to say, but what it really was, was to develop leaders in my players. Mm -hmm. That's what the essence of my job really, really was. And so I, I went in that way. And then in combination with that, I want to empower people around me. You know, I, I, I want them to be successful, even at the expense of me receiving the credit or me receiving uh, the attention. You know, I, I don't know if 40 years ago I could have understood how it was important that if an assistant coach said something really good, that I didn't just stamp it and say, you know, she's right or he's yeah. right, da 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 da. I let it stand on its let own it be. hmm. because I wanted the players to to realize what the teaching that was going on was just as important from the people around me as it was from the head coach. Oh man. You got me on that one. I know I do that. I do that sometimes where, you know, one of the, somebody's working a camp or whatever, they'll say, I'll be like, that's really good. And then I'll comment on it. It's like, why did I do that? Like, it was already really good. I didn't need to do anything. Um, that hits me. That's real. That's really good. I, that's, that's some self-accountability I need to, need to apply to myself. Um, thank you for sharing that. As we finish out the podcast, coach, You've done a ton of awesome things and continue. I mean, you're, you're still traveling around. You tell me a little bit of your, your upcoming schedule as far as uh, calling different basketball games. What's one or two of your favorite coaching memories and why? Oh, really good ones. Um, most of my memories uh, go to relationships with players, you know, um, without naming names, you know, maybe you struggled with a player where they sometimes didn't understand you. And, and, and then all of a sudden you, you kind of get to a point where you're both older and you're both at a, at a position. And all of a sudden you come back into their lives, you know, to celebrate some, some honor they're getting or to celebrate their family or something. I mean, that is priceless. Mm -hmm. I, I remember the championships and I'm fortunate that I had, I've, I've had my share. I remember the games. Now, I don't remember the scores, but mm -hmm. I always remember the relationships with the players. Um, just the other day, I, I, I was in Oklahoma, Baylor, I was at Baylor in Oklahoma. And um, I had a situation where uh, I'm calling the game. And the point guard for Oklahoma is, is a young lady named Nevea Tot. Now, Nevea Tot is the daughter of Helen Darling. Helen Darling played for me eight years. Okay. Now, now she's her daughter. You know, she's a junior starting point guard for that. Mm -hmm. And then Baylor had on their staff, they had, they, had, they had a young lady named Sophia Young, who was a very good player for me in San Antonio. 
Okay. And we got this picture, you know, of, of I, I said to Sophia, man, I'd love, let's get a picture of me and you and Nevaeh. So, so here, here's Nevaeh. Now Nevaeh is a small point guard. And then there's me and so right here, but that picture just told a story of, of, of what I kind of see as the advantages of being an older coach mm -hmm. is that you watch these, these, these players lives kind of move along. You know, I, I remember the championship and, and, and I, I went 18 years without a WNBA championship before I got one. 18. Now, God love Becky Hammond. Becky Hammond at, at Vegas, she won it in her first year. Now, yeah. she played for yep. me. Beck played for me eight years. Mm -hmm. Okay. We're all different. But I went 18 years mm -hmm. before I got that championship um, at that point. But, and I remember that. I remember that really good. But I'll tell you what I really remember. Uh, just about as much, you know, I, 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 I remember the championship slightly more, but the year after that, Sue Bird's hurt for the whole year. Brianna Stewart's hurt for the whole year. I, uh, developed cancer. So I have cancer surgery. Okay. Missed the first eight games of the season, nine games of the season. We ended up going like 19 and 16. We advanced to the second round of the playoffs. And I look back on that, that season as like mm -hmm. almost in the same way that I did in 218 with the championship. Yeah. Because of all the adversity we faced, all of us, and somehow we got to the other side mm -hmm. and made the best of it. Mm -hmm. And th those are just some, some examples that I think, uh, especially as you get older, uh, your perspective on, on the coaching career, you're just so glad that your parents or whoever allowed you to go be what you wanted to be mm -hmm. and uh, you're just very thankful for those people in your lives that didn't say no 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 you need to be a doctor you need to be a lawyer you need to do this they all right Dan you want to be a coach go go be the best coach you can and that mm -hmm. that was my folks mm -hmm. it's really cool that you shared that because that was my next question was you know what was one of the biggest challenges you feel like you've ever had as a coach sounds like that would be that would be the example right after you won a WNBA title yeah it, it was and again it went back to I had a couple challenges I had that and then but but luckily my philosophy then had been about empowering my staff a lot and I had a, I had a great coach in Gary Kloppenberg who who took over those eight games and <clears throat> then we kind of seamlessly went back together. But the biggest challenge was the following year. Now I, I had just battled cancer. It's the COVID year where the teams were going yeah. into bubbles and the doctors of the NBA, they don't want to prove me to go to the bubble. Right. Right. So I had to be involved with the team from Ohio in my basement. Uh, and Gary took the team down there with, with Noe and um, I, you know, I was very involved with them. It, it, it's an, it's an interesting story that we could do a whole podcast on, but that really uh, tested, but also brought about some of the highlights of, of, of the philosophy that I ended up dealing with. G mm -hmm. Gary took the team and Gary was a great coach and, and, and had, you know, acted as the head coach. We talked an awful lot. I talked to the players a lot. I did all that, but the truth was he's sitting there on the bench 
when these things are happening. So it's it's his team in that regard. And I was just so happy he had that because he was never he never really had a chance to have a championship. And I think that that's what that was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it it also taught me on if you're going to take a a kind of philosophy like this where you're empowering people along the way you got to figure out how to do that from afar mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that was some of the best learning lessons i had and uh if i write a book someday i'm i'm, I'm going i'm going to talk about how that really uh was the culmination of if you take on an empowering uh, culture, mm. that one mm. was the one that 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 I'm probably most proud of. Oh man, I'd love to dig into that. Well, if you write that book, you're welcome to come on the podcast, talk about the book, and and we'll we'll pump it and talk about that that season. That sounds awesome. All right, last thing, Coach. I'm just going to say a couple players' names. I want you to say one or two sentences that come to mind when you hear their name. All right, okay. first one, Brianna Stewart, best player I ever coached. Suberg. Best leader I ever coached. Diana Tarazi. Could not stop her from scoring. Uh, <laughs> tried very hard. Uh, I, I uh, was fortunate to coach her on the Olympic team. So I, the last thing I would say is way more fun to have on your team as opposed to coach against her. <laughs> Don Staley. Oh, that, I had the greatest arsenal of point guards in the history of basketball as a coach, and she was number one. Mm -hmm. And she, I wouldn't have had my WNBA, WNBA career if Don Staley had not been the point guard on the team that I took over in Charlotte. You mm -hmm. know, she had all the attributes that – from a leadership standpoint, from a talent standpoint, I would not be talking to you if she wasn't the first point guard of many that I had in my career. Wow. Last one, Becky Hammond. Oh my gosh. Um, several thoughts on Becky. I, I think Becky was such a success story uh, as a player but she will be an even greater success story as a coach. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about one of the top 10 players ever to play on the female side in the basketball hall of fame should be in the other hall of fame, but she's going to be more successful as a coach than even she was as a player. And coaching her uh, to me was probably the greatest gift to just, you didn't always know what she was going to do, but you just knew it was going to be special. Very cool. Coach, this was, this was awesome. This was awesome. Thank you for, for taking the time out of, out of your day. A lot of things you could be doing. Chose to spend some time with me. And, and uh, I know you blessed our listeners with your knowledge, your, your passion, uh, the way that you communicate and the things that you emphasize. I know that's going to benefit a lot of the people that listen to this show. So uh, thanks again for being a part of the coach's edge podcast and God bless. Well, and, and I'm going to shoot it right back at you, Steve. I, I I met you, you know, not long ago, but I was telling my wife that there's something about the road you're traveling 
that I sure as heck wanted to be a part of it. Because I, <laughs> I think you're going to do some amazing things. And, and I enjoyed the conversation back then. And I enjoyed it today and, and look forward to uh, maybe more in the future. Cool. Okay. I certainly appreciate that. Thanks again. Thank you guys for listening to Coach's Edge podcast. Get after it today.